Thank you for joining the Faith Chapel Podcast. Wherever you may be joining us, we hope you know you are loved and that this message encourages you. This summer, I felt led by God to emphasize the Holy Spirit in his work in our life, in our church, and in all that we do. And so that's what we're going to, we're going to begin that today. And I think it's so important to have this conversation because for so many of us, the Holy Spirit is mystical. The Holy Spirit is maybe something that maybe we're even fearful of, maybe something that, you know, we've been taught in our past or in our churches, maybe in the past, that it's, that maybe it's something that's, that, you know, we, we just don't quite have an understanding of. We understand God the Father, and we understand we've been given a spirit of adoption. That spirit is a spirit that cries out, I'm a father. And we get that if, uh, you know, if we have a, especially if we come from a, a solid family, that we know what it's like to see a good father in front of us. And we can, we can translate that to our Heavenly Father. We know about Jesus because we have the Gospels. And we know that the that, the, that he, God became flesh and dwelt among us, the incarnation. And so we can read about God. We can read about that second person of the Trinity, Jesus. And we can know what Jesus's life was like and how he modeled this perfect life for us. So we know about it, but the Holy Spirit's a different thing. The Holy Spirit is something that, that I believe that you see on every single page in the New Testament. But yet we, we don't talk about it as much. In fact, my guess is this, is that when is the last time you actually had a conversation with the Holy Spirit? See, a lot of times that we'll, we'll even start our prayers, dear Father, and at the end we'll say, in Jesus' name, but, but we haven't even acknowledged the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And the reason I believe that to be so, the reason why I believe that maybe we don't cultivate that that in our lives as much as we should is because we don't really see the Holy Spirit as a person. But the Holy Spirit was involved in Jesus's life. The Holy Spirit came upon his mother and she conceived. The Holy Spirit was there on the day that, that he started his earthly ministry and the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. The Spirit was there that immediately following that the Spirit led him into the wilderness to be tempted. The Spirit was with him when he went around doing good and healing people and doing all those miracles. He said, oh, whoa, whoa, stop, Pastor. Wait a minute, just, just a minute, Pastor. He said he was God. Of course, those miracles happened. I mean, he was the Son of God. Well, I don't believe that Jesus used his divinity to do those miracles. In fact, because he is, because he is our perfect example, I believe that what Jesus was doing was out of his humanity. I believe he was using the Holy Spirit as an example so that you and I would know how to live this life and live a victorious life. In fact, it tells us that in Acts chapter 10 and verse 38. It said, you know that Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went out doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. So where did Jesus get his power? Where did Jesus get his authority? Was it through his divinity or was it through the Holy Spirit? You see the Holy Spirit. And he's our example. And what he was doing is he's saying, listen, if you follow my life and you'll recognize that I laid down my divinity and I'm through the power of the Holy Spirit, I was able to do these things and much greater things, he said, will you do than me? I want to I wanna be your model. I want to be your example. And he said, church, here's how you do it. You do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I believe the veil that's been put upon the eyes of the church for so long is, is that we've emphasized the Father. And I know we're coming out of a season in the church around the world, and especially in America, where there's so many songs that have been talked to, that have been written about the Father, and rightly so. We have a culture, we have a bunch of, of, of people that are growing up without a father in their home. And, and when they met God, they found a heavenly father who, who was a father who would never leave them nor forsake them, a father who was loving and enduring and kind. And so they began to sing about this father. There's nothing wrong with, with those songs. There's nothing wrong with those, with those moments. But I, I think the veil that's been over the eyes of the church, maybe for a season, that we need to come out of is is this person of the Holy Spirit and how he empowers us. How he empowers us to live an overcoming life. How he empowers us to live a life of victory. How he empowers us to see miracles happen in our midst. How he empowers us to draw sinners under repentance. For you cannot do that. I cannot do that. It is only done by the power of the Holy Spirit working in people's lives. I shared this with my growth group this morning. It's not in my notes, but it just fits. It, you know, the church of Laodicea, it was a church that was doing great things. They were empowered to do great things. I mean, they were going about, the, you know, going about their community and they were serving and they were doing all kinds of great things. But yet Jesus was on the outdoors. He was on the outside of the church knocking. Behold, I stand at your church's door and knocks, he says. Can you imagine Jesus being right out there knocking on the glass doors going, can I come into my church? Can I come into my church? And it dawned on me this week, and I was like, how many churches and how many people that are in the church are doing ministry and doing service unto the king, but they don't have the anointing or the power of the Holy Spirit upon their life? See, we need the Spirit. If Jesus needed the Spirit, then we need the Spirit. Can you say amen? Amen. And no wonder Paul then exhorts us to keep in step with the Spirit and to be filled or be refilled and continually filled to overflowing with the Spirit. For the Spirit brings power. It guides us into all truth. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It allows us to be a witness unto God. It prays through us and for us. It seals our eternal relationship with Christ. I mean, there's so many people in the New Testament that were filled with the Holy Spirit. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit when he was in his mother's womb. Elizabeth, when Mary greeted her, was filled with the Holy Spirit. The disciples were filled with the Spirit when they were in the upper room. Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and stood up and he preached on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people were added on that day. Young Stephen was full of the Spirit and he saw the glory of God as he was being stoned to death. And Paul was inspired by the Spirit in Acts chapter 13 as he confronted a sorcerer filled with the Spirit. So, Pastor, why don't we see as many miracles today as, as he did in the days of the Bible? Well, number one, we have a condensed version of time in the Bible. It's three years in Jesus' life. But I think the other part of that is, is that maybe we're not, maybe we're not developing a relationship with the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not, we're, we're not developing a relationship with the Holy Spirit. I think it's why this is why this is so important for us to discuss this today so that we can cultivate over the next several weeks, a relationship with the person, the person of the Holy Spirit. I mean, we sing about it. You guys know we sing about God in three persons. If you're over 50, you know the song. Everybody else is looking at me like, what are you doing? Either that or I'm just way, way off key. I don't know if you can't might be, might be both, might be both. 
blessed trinity, right? We sing it, we know it, but, they're, but we don't necessarily cultivate, develop, spend time with the Holy Spirit. See, for some of you, I, I, again, I, I think the reason why we don't is because we don't look at the Holy Spirit as a person. There are three things that are necessary for a personality to exist. A will, intelligence, and emotions. And just real quickly, I'm just going to, the will, the person of the Holy Spirit, the will. In John chapter 16, verse 7 and 11, Jesus speaking, he said, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away for I do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Okay. Verse eight. And he, talking about the Holy Spirit, the helper, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, judgment, and concerning sin, because they do not believe in me and concerning righteousness, because I go to the father and you no longer see me and concerning judgment, because the rule of this world has been judged. So when the Holy Spirit comes, what is his will? What is his purpose? What is he going to do? He is going to convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and bring judgment. He has a, he has a will, in other words. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse, thir- verse 13, this is what we speak, not with words taught by human wisdom, but with words taught by the, by the Spirit. These are words that the Spirit taught us. In other words, the Spirit has a, an intellect explaining spiritualities with Spirit-taught words. The Spirit has emotions. You know, the verse in Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can be joyful, can be rejoicing, it can be grieved, it has emotions. So based upon these passages and many, many more, I think we can conclude that the Holy Spirit truly is indeed a person, possessing all the characteristics required of a person. And if the Holy Spirit is a person, then we can know him. And if the Holy Spirit is a person, then we can have a relationship with him. If the Holy Spirit is a person, then we can commune with him. If the Holy Spirit is a person, then we can have a conversation with him. And if the Holy Spirit is a person, his job is to come and lead us and guide us into all truth. And that's one of his jobs. That's one of the things that he's been sent to do. Then he desires to actively be involved in our lives. And so if he already wants to actively be involved in our lives, then maybe it only takes us opening up our hearts and our lives to him and say, Lord, I want to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. This may be. And, and I believe that when we began to go through these next few weeks together and we begin to emphasize this in your life and we begin to open ourselves up to and we begin to see on every page in scripture where the, the Holy Spirit is working and manifesting himself that you will begin to develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit and you'll begin to see God do something brand new in your life. See, what what I'm talking about is Christians who become apathetic or stagnant or maybe you haven't experienced anything new for a long time and you've just been going through the rhythm of church life. What I'm talking about is to those of you that that you're faithful but, but you haven't seen God answer a prayer in maybe weeks or months or years. What I'm talking about is those of you that are here and that maybe you don't even know, but there's a, there's a wall that's been built up around your heart and there's a callousness been there because maybe it hurt or maybe things that have happened in your life. And, and then when you hear a testimony like we heard this morning, that that's great for them, but you don't believe that God will do that for you. That, that's who I'm talking about. 
I'm talking to you this morning because I believe that God wants to do something in your life. And I believe the Holy Spirit is a real person. And I believe that third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, wants to actively be involved in my life. Jesus said so. In John chapter 16, verse 7, he says, but I tell you the truth, like Jesus could lie. Must be emphasizing something because we know he's not lying. So he's emphasizing a point by starting that way. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now put this in context. You're the disciples. And they say, who are you? Jesus says, Jesus said, who do do people say that I am? Well, some say this, some people, Elijah, some. He said, but who do you say that I am? Oh, you're the Christ, the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. We've been waiting for you for hundreds of years. Our our ancestors have prayed for you for the coming of Messiah. We knew that the Messiah would come and deliver deliver us from all the evil. You're that person. That's why we walked away from our families. And that's why we walked away from our businesses. And that's why we walked away from our lives. And that's why we put it all on the line. Because we know that you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, okay. It is advantageous for you that I leave you. What? You have to understand the context. Why would that be better? In fact, it says in the NIV, it's for your good. In the NLV, it says, it's best for you. In the Brian translation, it says, it is to your benefit. In the Brian literal translation, it says, it is profitable for you. In the King James, some of you like that, it is expedient for you. And the disciples are like, what's profitable, beneficial, expedient, advantage? How, how does this work if you're not with us? And what Jesus was trying to say is that because of the incarnation where God became flesh and dwelt among you right here, I can only be at one place at one time. And everywhere I go, you see the hand of God upon me. You see the spirit of God that descended upon me. You see the power of the Holy Spirit working in my life. But I can only be at one place at one time. So I'm going to go to the Father and I'm going to request that he send the Holy Spirit to come and be with you. And he will be with you always. He will never, ever leave you. That's what it says. I'm going to ask the Father. He will give you a helper that may be with you forever. John chapter 14, verse 16. Goes on to say in verse 17, he gives us a title of the Holy Spirit. One of the titles, he said, that is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. By the way, if you're not spiritually motivated, if you're not in right relationship with God, then you're you're already pushing back. You're like, okay. That's fine, because that's just a fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. Of course you would push back. You, you know, like, I'm not buying into all that. I, I'm not doing that. I, I, no, no. I, wait a minute. I, no. Come on, pastor. I mean, come on. Can, just something practical. Can, can I tell you I'm giving you the most practical thing that you need for your day-to-day life? These are people that operate under the power of the Holy They didn't have scripture. They didn't have a church to, that was formed yet. They didn't have church doctrine. They didn't have constitution and bylaws. They didn't even have pastors yet. And he's saying, let me give you the thing that you're going to need more than anything else. It is to your advantage. It is beneficial. It is for your good that I go. Because when I go, I'm going to the Father. And I'm going to ask him to send the Holy Spirit, the helper. You say, well, do we, what is this helper? It's the word player, Clayton, here in Scripture. And it just means the one who comes alongside to help. 
So if you look at this third person, this person of the Holy Spirit, that his job, because he can be everywhere at once, is to come alongside us and to help us. He now becomes my, my main helper. He's my buddy. And I'm not trying to lower the, his divinity or his status by saying that, but I mean, that's what he's done. He's coming to and be in my life and he's going to walk alongside me and he's going to, oh, no, no, don't do that. There's, there's trouble ahead. Okay. No, don't go down that road. Go over here. Okay. Thank you, helper. You're awesome. No, don't wear that. People will be offended when they go to church tomorrow. Okay. I won't wear that. Drive down this road. Okay, I'll drive down this road. Go this place or give to this mission or go to this place or do this or serve over here. God, he is my helper. He is our helper. And according to Jesus, he was, he was going, it's, it's advantageous that he goes so this helper can come because he's going to help us find the truth. He's going to help us pray. He's going to help us with power. He's going to help us live an overcoming life. He's going to help us to grow and mature and experience the fruit of the spirit in our life. He's going to help us to grow in wisdom and stature and knowledge. He's going to help us in our infirmities. He's going to help us in our distress. He's going to help us understand scripture. He's going to help us in our weakness. He's going to help comfort us. He's going to help us find peace. He's going to help us be our counselor and much, much, much more. No wonder why Jesus says, hey, it's to your advantage that I go. Because I'm going to send somebody else that can be with you forever. Isn't that what the verse says? I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Another of the same kind. That's what that means in the actual Greek. Same as him. but of it, of it, And that he may be with you, say it, for forever. He's going to be with you Forever. But you know him, going back to the end of the verse, because he abides with you and will be, with, be in you. He abides close with us. And he's in us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, let me kind of give some direction to this. Paul's praying for the church of Thessalonica, and he he says, may the God himself in his prayer, he starts his prayer, the God of peace sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit, your whole soul and your whole body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He, he, he talks about how we were created here. He's calling out the three main parts of our existence. He said, you were made to be body to be a soul, and to be a spirit. They call it a tripartite being, but we just simply made, we were made in the image and the likeness of God. Genesis chapter one, verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Our image, our likeness, it's plural. He's saying, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let's create a man and let's give him a body and let's give him a soul and let's put a spirit with inside of him. The body, the soul, and the spirits. Did you know that what's on the outside, what you see, is just a temporary housing? Paul calls it a, a tent. I like to call it an earth suit. You know, it's kind of like going to space, and we get to put on a space suit, and we get to go to another realm. And this is just in the realm, this physical realm that I am, I have a, an earth suit. And, and I, I look in the mirror and I, I just look at this and I go, you know, this hunk of a man that you've created, God, thank you so much. 
How many of you know it hurts me when you laugh like that? Amen. When I look in the mirror and I go, look at that, I, I, I can pick myself apart. I don't like this and I don't like that. I'm like, but then I'm just quick to remember, I'm like, that's not me anyway. This old body's going to be gone. The real me is the spirit on the inside of me. Now you should see that guy. He really is a hunk. Amen. <laughs> and let me just illustrate it real quick on the screen. The, the outside circle is the body. It's the body. It's what we see. We look around and we see their body. That's, we've been created. We have a body. How many of you know this body is going to die? This body is going to find itself in a grave someplace. This body is going to pass away. But on the inside of the body, the body is the earth suit for the soul. It holds, it has the soul on the inside of it. And just as the, just as the body houses the soul, the soul houses the spirit. Let me, let me just help you understand a little bit. The body, of course, we, we don't have any struggle with that. That's just our physical body. The soul is, according to scripture, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's, I believe the conscience reigns there. And then the spirit. And, and for a lot of us, we can't feel, maybe not daily, not every moment of the day, we don't feel the spirit. See, our body has the five senses. If you were to walk up here and I had a pin and I were to prick you, you would go, ouch. Yeah. Pastor, <laughs> ouch. Right? The five senses feel. But your soul didn't feel, but your soul has the emotions in it. So when, you're, when, you're, when you are grieved in your emotions, in your soul, sometimes it affects the body and you begin to what? When you're grieving, you begin to cry. Sometimes in your soul, when you feel rejoicing, what happens to the, the, the mouth on your face? What happens? It turns up and you begin to smile. Some of you could do that right now. Make me feel a lot better. Amen. Just smile. Let me know you're getting this. All right. But those emotions are in your soul. But here, here's, here's the disconnect. God speaks to us through our spirit. Now, I know there's a few manifestations. I know there's a few times where God decided to write on the wall. That would be awesome if he would just do that for me every day. I'd put a whiteboard in my room, and I'd just wake up every day and say, thank you, God, for today's agenda, right? I mean, that would be awesome. And I know there's a few times in Scripture where God chose to speak audibly, and if that's ever happened to you, that's an amazing thing, and you're just like, yes, and you hear God. But for the most of us in the room, we probably haven't heard the audible voice of God, and we probably haven't seen God write something on the wall of our home. And so how does God speak to us? He speaks to us through our spirit man. Now, let me explain why this is so important. Because when you gave your life to Christ, if you had trouble with mathematics and you came to church and you gave your life to Christ, you went to school on Monday, you didn't start getting A's in mathematics, right? But in 2 Corinthians, it says, Pastor, the old has passed away and behold, all things become new. Why can't I do math? Because you're not good at it. <laughs> and if you had some sin habits, or you had some temptations and you came forward and you gave your life to Christ, unless there was a supernatural deliverance that occurred with you, and I believe that could happen, but unless that happened on that day, and the majority of the time it doesn't, 
But unless that happened, what happened after you gave your life to Christ? When you went back home and you got surrounded by those things that tempted you, you were tempted. Well, pastor, the old has passed away. Behold, things become new. Why is this important? Why are we spending time on this? Because for so many of you, you looked at coming to Christ like a get-out-of-jail-free card. And your life was so messed up and you had so many issues in your life that you thought, if I would just come to Christ, then God would just wipe it all clear and everything will be put in its proper place and everything will be right. That does happen. But where does it happen? In your spirit. Where is everything made brand new? in your spirit. See, when I was in youth ministry and I was preaching on this, I would say, you know, you came to church and you had a pimple on your face. You gave your life to Christ, the pimple's still there. (laughs) Right? I mean, we're just keeping it real this morning, huh? Where were you made brand new? Where was all things passed away? Where was everything recreated on the inside of you? Where Where did that happen? It was your what? It was your spirit. It was your spirit. And if we don't call it the relationship between our spirit and the Holy Spirit, there is going to be a disconnect on the amount of knowledge and wisdom and revelation and life that we get into our lives. And then we began to serve God out of our body and out of our soul. And then all of a sudden, this becomes more of a drudgery than it is a blessing. Because when our bodies get weak, we start going, well, this is no longer fun. Where the moment we felt the call of God in our spirit and we were ignited for service and we couldn't wait to get to our post and we couldn't wait to serve other people and we couldn't wait to see God move and we couldn't wait to feel the power of the Holy Spirit working through us and we couldn't wait to make a difference in someone's life because we knew it was God working through us Now, all of a sudden, it's become a job. Why? Because we're doing it in our flesh. And then what we do is we try to muster up our emotions. And so, like an athlete, we try to get into the room. We're like, hoo, 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 hoo. All right, let's go. And we put on the right music in our car. And some of you, you turn it down. Some of you turn it way up. And the thing's booming. And it comes onto the, you know, comes on the camp. Bump. And you're like, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And you go run into your post. You're like, yes. But then when you're emotionally all wore out because of something that's going on in your life, now all of a sudden being in church and serving God becomes a job. Becomes a burden. When serving God, Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, for it's, it's easy, it's light. So maybe, maybe something's wrong with us if serving God, serving the church, being a part of serving God's kingdom becomes a job. You understand why this is so important? Because we, yes, it requires our body, and yes, it requires some of our emotion, but but. We need to feed our spirit. And the only way to do that is, is through the Holy Spirit. Let, 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 me, let me help you understand. John chapter 6, verse 63 says this. The spirit gives life. 
The flesh counts for, say it out loud, it counts for nothing. So some of you ladies spent two hours on nothing this morning before you came to church. Wow, it's a, there's a foul spirit in the room. How do you know? There's just the foul spirit that's here. Amen. Though the flesh counts for, for nothing. It's just a suit that houses the real you. The spirit is what gives life. In the words that I have spoken to you, this is important. We'll go back to it in just a few moments. But the words that I have spoken to you, they are full of spirit and they're full of life. See, I believe that the best way that we gain spiritual discernment in Revelation is through the spirit. You say, well, what about the word of God? Well, the Bible says that the words that Jesus gave us that were the rock of God, the inspired word of God, they came out of God's mouth that's full of spirits. Look at James chapter 1, 23. Let me give you a more practical illustration right from Scripture. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So in other words, he, he, you get up in the morning, you're standing here, you brush your teeth, guys, we're shaving, we're maybe trying to get some of those nose hairs out and we do all that and, and then we walk away and we go, man, I forgot what I even look like. I don't even know what I, you know, what happened with me. I just don't know. Look what he goes on to say. Verse 25. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, what does he say? Looks into the gospel, looks into the word of God, looks into the spirit and that spirit that, or that word that has spirit and life into it. What is he saying? He's saying that the word of God is like a reflective mirror. And if you gaze upon the reflective ear in scripture, now this is why people don't like to read the word of God. I say, I say this all the time. People don't like to read the word of God because once you start reading the word of God, it starts reading you. And you don't like the reflection that comes back. And so you go away from it instead of receiving it and then it doesn't change your life. And again, then Christianity becomes more about what you're doing and how you feel than about what God commands over our, over our words. See, he said, we talked about it today. We, we throw around, God, I love you. God, I love you. We're singing a song about how much we love God. But God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah. And how do you know the commandments? You gaze upon, you let scripture be the mirror that you look upon. And you let the words that are spirit-filled, that are anointed of God, begin to speak in life into your body and into your spirit. And it brings change into your whole being so that you're empowered to go and do the work of God. See, that's what we need in our lives. This is what he's saying here. He says, who looks intently into the law, the spirit of God, the spirit that comes from the word of God. He said, and it brings freedom. And it continue, if you continue in it, not forgetting what, it, what you have heard. Some of you won't even remember what I've said when you get to lunch today. But not forgetting what you've heard, but doing it. They will be blessed and what they do. I mean, how many of you want to be blessed? I, I want to be blessed. I want God's blessing upon my life, upon my family, our church, and our community. I want God's blessing. How do you do that? Then you gaze into the word of God. And you let the word of God that is full of spirit and life connect with your spirit and bring life into your being. 
the reason why the enemy wants to wants to keep you from reading the Bible because he knows how much power is found in Scripture. We get so busy, we're like, oh man, I just missed it today. I'll pick it up tomorrow. And you look at your nightstand, you get home a little late and you're tired and there's that Bible and there's that reading devotional thing. And so you flip it open and you skim through that chapter so you can check a box because you can get through it in a year. But you're not gazing intently into that word like a mirror. So when you're looking at that word and you're meditating on that word and you're praying that word and you're quoting that word and you're memorizing that word, now it starts becoming substance to your very life. Jesus said it much more succinctly than I could, so let me just quote him, John 3. The flesh gives birth to the flesh. But the spirit gives birth to the, the spirit. How are we going to be empowered to live an overcoming life, to receive the blessing of God in our life, to, to see the, the outpouring of God's presence in our life, to see life change through us and in us? How are we going to see ministries grow, thrive, and prosper? How are we going to see these things happen if we are doing them in the flesh? See, scripture reminds us of this, that if you continue to do the work, even in ministry, when you build the house, but if, you, if the Lord doesn't build it, they that labor, labor in, in vain. And there's so many ministries and there's so many people that are trying to do the work of ministry in the flesh. They're trying to do it through the body. They're trying to do it through the emotion. They're trying to stir the emotion of the people that come instead of really having an encounter with the Holy Spirit. There's one thing that's for sure, and we're going to have an India meeting after the church service today, and we got some trips coming up. But if you travel and you go anywhere around the world, one thing that is incredibly apparent to me is that when I don't know the language and the service starts and people start playing and people start worshiping, the one thing that's amazing is it's always the same spirit. And it quickens my heart, and I want to worship. And I don't know the words, but I can just worship God anyway. And man, I don't know what they're saying in Farsi, or I don't know what they're saying in Hindi, or I don't know what they're saying in Spanish. Gloria a Dios al Señor. That's all I can say. You know, I keep saying it over and over and over. I know what it means, and I know it's worshipful. But I can worship God in spirit and in truth. Are you with me? See, this is so important. <clears throat> Worship team, go ahead and join me up here on the platform. But I think this is so important because we cannot do ministry without the presence of God. And ever since, I mean, for over 10 years, before I was even officially voted on as your pastor, I, 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 I looked down the street and I, and I saw all of these businesses, that, buildings that were empty. And I'm like, oh, God how awesome would it be that if we were to have Christian businesses down there, that we could take people who give their life to Christ and give them a hand up instead of a hand out, where we could help them grow in management and leadership and help them get paid and help them get a, get a head start. And we could, we could provide a service to the community maybe, and that would be profitable to the church and we could fund and we could do great things. 
How awesome would it be if we were able to have a, an after-school program where we actually sit down with kids and personally mentor them, but also walked through a discipleship curriculum with them and developed relationships with them that they took back to their families and their moms and their dads and their brothers and their sisters. And we began to pour into those lives one-on-one, -on -one, just like Jesus did in the Bible. And we're able to make a difference in our entire community one person at a time. But we need the Holy Spirit to do that. What, what would happen if we, were, if we had a piece of land? What would happen if we were to have some fields where we could, where we could have a soccer program? We could have, you know, we could have a, a baseball program and we could invite people from our community to come and we did it in a Christ-centered way and we were to go out there and we would run programs for all these kids and we would develop a relationship. Well, what would happen if we could do that? Well, we need the Holy Spirit to do that. What, what, would, happen? what, what would happen if we started a special needs program here at the church? And with dignity and grace and with care and concern, we loved on those kids. And they felt the spirit of God. And they were taught the word of God. It changed their life. See, I see all kinds of things that that I believe that God wants to do in our church. Multiple services, campuses, all kinds of things. But we need, we need the Spirit of God, the helper to come alongside of us. We need his presence and power at work in our lives. And so before we even began to talk about and dissect the scriptures and began to look at the manifestations or what it means to be filled with the Spirit or what the world and the work and the purpose of the Holy Spirit, before we do all that for the rest of these Sundays, and every message will be a standalone message. But before we get into any of that, what I want us to do as your pastor to you is I want us to just create an openness in our heart, a space for God to work. And so what I'd like to do before we end this service, is what I'd like to do is this. I, I, I would love for you to, if you want to create a space for God to work, the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And you're going you're gonna to say, God, I'm going to open myself. I'm going to let you be my helper. Jesus, you said it's to my benefit, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let the helper come into my life. And if that if that's you this morning, I just want you to come around the front of the church. Because I, I I think it's I think there's something about getting out of a seat and putting movement to our faith. I, mean, I could pray for you now, and, and I could save some time probably doing it that way, but I just think there's something about saying, I, I want God to move, and I, I'm going to go to an altar, and I, I'm going to lay myself on that altar of God, and I'm going to let God speak to me. And while people are coming, you can come in the back, and we'll wait on you. And, but here's what I want you to do. That, while we are going through this topic, here's what I want you to do. I've already been doing it for the last two weeks. It's been so refreshing. It's been so refreshing. I want you 
seven times a day, I want you to pray to the Holy Spirit. First thing you do when you wake up in the morning, your eyes wake up and you're conscious. I want you to go, Holy Spirit, I know, you've, I know you have something for me today. And just begin to have a dialogue with the Holy Spirit. Those of you that work, you take your first break. I'm not asking you to pray for an hour at a time. Just you take your first break, mid-morning. You just pray to the Holy Spirit. At lunchtime, you pray to the Holy Spirit. Your lunch break in the afternoon, you pray to the Holy Spirit. When you go home, when you're having your meal and you're praying over your meal, why don't you just pray the Holy Spirit while you're blessing, you're asking God to bless your food. And then somewhere in that night or right before you go to sleep, when your head goes on the pillow, it'll be the best sleep you've ever had. The enemy will let you sleep, I promise, when you start praying. You have your head on that pillow. You say, Holy Spirit, thank you for today. Work in my life. Draw close to me. You're my helper. Give me a discerning ear to your voice. Help me to walk in your counsel. Help me to walk with you. As you begin to pray, you'll fall asleep. And when you wake up the next morning, do it again. Can you, can you, how many think you could do that? Huh? How many think you could do that? You could do it. You could do it. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you hadn't already, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. If you'd like to further connect with us here at Faith Chapel, visit us online at faithchapelsd.com or on any social media platform at faithchapelsd. We hope to see you real soon.